You guys are going to have to bear with me this morning because I am woefully unprepared, or underprepared at least, not totally unprepared, but underprepared. Um, and I'm also not very good at picking simple topics. So instead what I'm going to do is uh, tackle a very, very complex topic very, very briefly. Um, and uh, mostly, as, with, as is my general want, um, probably leave us with a few more questions than answers, but mostly leave us with some things to think about uh, throughout the coming week. Uh, one of the things I've spent a lot of time thinking about recently, um, in the last few years especially, um, is the nature and the, and the humanity of Christians, of humanity, of the church, um, coming to terms with our own humanity. Um, we, uh, both as individuals and as a, as a church, as a group, we make a lot of mistakes. <laughs> uh, and when we're not making mistakes, we often make uh, poor or wrong or sometimes even evil choices. Um, honestly, our history, uh, the entire history of man from Adam forward is a history of mistakes and evils. Um, and the history of the church is no exception. Um, the church... Church history is littered with all kinds of wrongs done against each other, done against uh, other people. Uh, we have raped, pillaged, murdered, uh, and uh, really just done atrocities with the worst of them. Um, and this isn't necessarily church bashing or self-loathing, um, but it is a historical fact. Um, sometimes these abuses were driven by heresies or wrong belief. But not always. Sometimes they were just uh, driven by bad behavior, selfishness or greed or any number of other things. And as I look at the history of the world and as I look at um, many of these wrongs that have been committed, I look at my own life, I look at the sins that I've committed, and then I look at Scripture and I look at those upon whom God has poured out His mercy and those that He has judged. And I am left with the question of, what is the difference? What's the difference between David and Saul, between Mary and Zechariah, Moses, Joshua, Jacob, Joseph? Why are these forgiven? Why are others not? Why, uh, why, can, why can David be forgiven for Bathsheba and yet Ananias and Sapphira are swallowed whole. <laughs> it doesn't seem to make a great deal of sense. And um, in contemplating this, mostly this morning, I just want to go through some scriptures with you. And I have, um, I have a thought as to um, why this may be. But mostly I just want to read, read from the Word this morning and then uh, I'll share a little with you about what, I, what I'm thinking in this regard. So I'm going to start off in Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah 14, and uh, Jeremiah is talking about false prophets he says, Then I said, All Lord God, behold, the prophets say to them, You shall not see the sword, and you shall not have famine. But I will give you assured peace in this place. And the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. 
I did not send them, nor did I command them to speak to them. They are prophesying to you a lying vision, worthless divination, and the deceit of their own minds. I think sometimes, I think oftentimes, and we often remind ourselves, or we try to, um, but I think what's really interesting and important to remember here is that these were prophets. They weren't just random people from another nation. These were prophets of Israel. Um, these were people coming from within, not without speaking lies. Um, and the church, after the coming of Christ, is much the same. In all honesty, it's, it's the answer to why the epistles. We have the epistles because we had bad Christians from the very beginning. We had people who didn't get it right, who didn't understand, who made poor choices, or who distorted and corrupted the word of God. So again, I ask... What is the difference? And I'm going to turn over to Romans 3. There's going to be a lot of flipping around because, as I said, mostly reading Scripture. So this is what happens when I'm underprepared. Bear with me. But if our unrighteousness serves to show the righteousness of God, what shall we say? That God is unrighteous to inflict wrath on us? I speak in a human way. By no means, for then how could God judge the world? But if through my lie God's truth abounds to his glory, why am I still being condemned as a sinner? And why do not evil and why not do evil that good may come, as some people slanderously charge us with saying? Their condemnation is just. Jump, jumping over to verse 10. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave, they use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Interestingly enough, he doesn't exclude anybody from that. Um, he doesn't say, you know, just those outside the church, although that is in some cases, in this case he's actually speaking of the Jews. And again, there's, there's no exclusion. This is, this is a universal of mankind. <laughs> we are all fallen. We are all in need of grace. So why do some receive it and others not? A little bit related to Titus's sermon previously. Um, and there's sort of a two, two-part answer in here that I'm going to get to. But first, continuing on with a bit of folly, uh, in Exodus 16 and 17, and I'm just going to read excerpts from here. This is the giving of the manna 
uh, and the quail and the water from the rock to the people of Israel when they were wandering in the wilderness. Starting in verse 2 here. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt, and in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against us, the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in a cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and then you shall know that I am your Lord. What kind of has always struck me about this particular passage of Scripture is that it's not necessarily an unjust grumbling. <laughs> Matter of fact, a lot of the complaints of the uh, Jewish people uh, at various points, most of us would consider pretty well justified. Um, hanging out, if you've never been out in, say, Death Valley or other places similar where it's pretty much barren rock and not much else, um, you've got a few thousands of people wandering around hungry. It seems relatively reasonable to say, what was the point? If we're all just going to die out here of starvation, if there's nothing to drink and nothing to eat. And yet God condemns them for it. He provides for them, absolutely. But he does hold them in judgment for it. So what's the difference? Let's turn over to Psalm 13. I'm going to spend a good chunk of time here in the Psalms for a little while. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love, and my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. 
I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. And then over to Psalm 22. And hopefully as we read through these, you'll start to see a pattern. At least I did. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are the one who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O my Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him. But he has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Pretty familiar psalm for most uh, of us, um, a lot of it having to do with Christ and his crucifixion, but I think even above and beyond that as well to ourselves and our understanding of God's faithfulness in times of crisis, in times of need, and when we cry out. 
And what is the difference between grumbling and crying out? Psalm 130. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits, and in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For the Lord, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption, and he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. I've always found the fourth verse of Psalm 130 and Proverbs 1, 7 to be somewhat disconcerting. Um, to say, but with you there is forgiveness that you may be feared. I think most of us think in terms of forgiveness, allaying fear, removing it, um, dispersing it. And yet here it is the forgiveness itself that generates it, that justifies it, In Proverbs 1, the teacher tells us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. I told you I was going to be reading a lot. I don't know if you're seeing a pattern yet, but I'm going to continue on with Psalm 39. I said I will guard my ways that I may not sin with my tongue. I will guard my mouth with a muzzle so as long as the wicked are in my presence. I was mute and silent. I held my peace to no avail and my distress grew worse. My heart became hot within me. As I mused, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. O Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Behold, you have made my days a few handbreadths. And my lifetime is nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands a mere breath. Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. And now, O Lord, for what do I wait? My hope is in you. Deliver me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of the fool. I am mute. I do not open my mouth. For it is you who have done it. Remove your stroke from me. I am spent by the hostility of your hand. When you discipline a man with rebukes for sin, you consume like a moth what is dear to him. Surely all mankind is a mere breath. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Hold not your peace at my tears, for I am a sojourner with you, a guest like all my fathers. Look away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. And over to Psalm 103. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known His ways to Moses, His acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will He keep His anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear Him. For He knows our frame, He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower in the field, for the wind passes over it and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear Him, and His righteousness to children's children, to those who keep His covenant and remember to do His commandments. The Lord has established His throne in the heavens, and His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you His angels, you mighty ones who do His word, obeying the voice of His word. Bless the Lord, all His hosts, His ministers who do His will. Bless the Lord, all His works, in all places of His dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. There are several things through these passages that I think represent um, common threads, which should be no surprise. I think one of them is also echoed in Isaiah 55:9. For as high, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Ultimately, the thread that I've found through all of these passages, um, throughout the whole of Scripture, is a theme of trust. And it's a type of trust that we have a really hard time with. I have a really hard time with. Um, It's what I'll call absolute trust. There are very few who are able to actually practice it very effectively. Um, Children somewhat uh, better at it than uh, adults tend to be, although even they certainly not perfectly in any capacity, Um, and more out of a desperation of need than from any real act of volition at that point. They don't really have a choice But the commonality I see throughout for those that God has redeemed, those that God has rescued and has not swallowed whole throughout the whole of Scripture are those that at the end of all things, 
no matter how bleak, no matter how dark, no matter how daunting they may be, turn their eyes up and say, Lord, my trust, my hope, and my, and my faith are all in you. I believe that no matter how miserable I am, no matter how awful this is, no matter if I have no food to eat and no water to drink, you are still faithful, even if I don't understand it. It's a very difficult kind of faith to have. I'm not particularly great at it. Um, it's very easy when things are good, when things are simple. And very, very hard when things are hard. And we kind of we commiserate with the people of Israel. We say, we have no food, we have no water, we are starving to death. How is this? a good thing. And to be at that point and to look up and say, but my hope is in the Lord. I will trust in Him no matter what, no matter how bad, no matter how dark. My hope will not falter, nor will my faith stumble. And even though I may make Mistakes, though I may stray from the path, though my heart is very, very prone to wander. I will cast my eyes up and seek his forgiveness. I will fear the Lord because he is capable of mercy. I will fear the Lord and I will do and trust in His ways, whether I am able to understand them. And this allows us to be asked to do some things that are still adding more more challenge In Romans 12, starting in verse 10, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will be heaping burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, 
but overcome evil with good. I think a lot of us have heard that passage at any number of points in our lives. We've given it a lot of thought at some point or another. But I think ultimately the foundation of that, of those actions is the same. Be persecuted and trust in God. Feed your enemy, care for them, and trust that I will do what is right. Do not execute your own judgment. The judgment is not yours to make. Rather, in all things, trust in the Lord and trust that He will do what is right, even if it is beyond our comprehension. I'd like to, uh, just going to sum up actually with Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His mighty deeds. Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. Praise Him with trumpet sound. Praise Him with lute and harp. Praise Him with tambourine and dance. Praise Him with strings and pipe. Praise Him with the sounding cymbals. Praise Him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. I think we often assume that psalms like this are celebratory when God has done something that we recognize as truly great or that we are very happy about and certainly useful at those times as well. Um, But I think as we've read through many of the other Psalms this morning, you see that even from the depths of despair, David looks up and says, and yet I will trust in you and I will praise you. You have done right by me even if I am suffering. You have been faithful to me, even if I am starving. That is a very rare form of trust. And the praise of Psalm 150, celebratory, is not restricted to when our lives are happy. Rather, in all places, at all times, Praise the Lord for his mighty deeds and according to his excellent greatness. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would give us wisdom and that you would help us to understand these things. That above all else, you would help us to have faith in you, that you would help us to trust you above all things that we would not simply lose heart, curse you and die. Rather, Lord, that in the darkest of darks, we would look up and say to you, but you have been faithful. You will always be faithful. 
and I will praise your name no matter what, no matter our folly, no matter our errors, no matter our suffering or our loss. Lord, that we would look up to the heavens and give glory and thanks to you, for you are worthy of it, and your ways are not our ways. And even when we cannot understand, and it is beyond our comprehension, when we are left wandering alone and empty and asking, how can this be? Why would this, why would you allow this? That we would turn our eyes, our hearts, and our thoughts to you and say, praise be unto you. I believe that you will do what is right, that your ways are right. and that you will provide what is needed. Father, we thank you for that provision in all places at all times, even when it's not readily apparent to us. We ask that you would give us the faith and the strength to turn to you and to thank you and to praise you in all places and all times. Lord, thank you for our time together this morning. I ask that you would bless us and keep us in the days to come, in the week ahead, for those that are traveling, uh, for those that are looking for work, and all of these things, that we would recognize your faithfulness and turn our eyes to you. Lord, thank you for our time together this morning. And may we go out from this place with our eyes focused on you, seeking to build each other up. Yes, and we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.